It's time for Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionist Darlene Kavist. Each week, Darlene explains the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned to hear practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through good nutrition. Dishing Up Nutrition is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestones. Specialist and licensed nutritionist. And today's show is brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness, a company specializing in life-changing nutrition education and counseling. You know, I always like sharing life-changing stories. You know, sometimes it's about weight loss. Sometimes it's about better sleep. And sometimes it's about less migraines. And today's life-changing comment was from a weight and wellness class member who at the beginning of the series experienced hip pain and was taking 12 Advil medications, over-the-counter Advils a day. Wow. 12 a day. That's amazing. So here is what she wrote on her class evaluation. She said, after eating the Weight and Wellness Way, I went from 12 Advil a day to zero. And guess what? The arthritis pain in her hip was gone. Amazing. She stopped eating sugar and processed carbs, got rid of her inflammation, and got rid of her pain. So today we're talking more about how sugar, you know, that word, Mm -hmm. and how processed carbs create pain and inflammation. It creates diabetes. And of course, you know, it makes most people gain weight. You know, and that's definitely something we talk about on our shows. And I think we all do know that sugar is bad for us. But, you know, everyone stay tuned because I bet you didn't know that sugar has 56 different names. That's amazing. And is in 80% of our food. So I want to introduce that voice you've been hearing. This is Katie Harla. She is a registered and licensed dietitian. And you see clients in Wayzata. I do. And also in our Lakeville office. She also teaches many, many classes throughout the community for businesses and for different nonprofit organizations. You're doing something all the time, aren't you? It's always so fun. I love love the change all the time. It is really great. Um, So good morning, Dar. Good morning to you. And hi to everyone listening. We are and we are really excited today because we are. We we were saying this before we were getting ready for the show. We're so excited for this because we have a very special guest on today. Uh, we have the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Fat Chance, Beating the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Food, Obesity, and Disease, uh, by Dr. Robert Lustig. And many of you are you have watched Dr. Lustig on the YouTube video, Sugar, the Better Truth. You know, this remarkable video has has been viewed nearly three million times. And I know it's changed people's lives. And, you know, I know I've watched it at least three times. And each time I watch it, I learn more. I, I remember um, I had, you know, but I saw it on YouTube, too, and I was completely shocked before, you know, even before being here and working with, you know, this show, it was, it was amazing how inspiring and kind of shocking that YouTube video is. Yes. So it really pleases us to introduce Dr. Robert Lustig to our listeners in his real life when he's not up with us early, early doing a radio show. He is a renowned pediatric endocrinologist who has spent the past 16 years treating childhood obesity, and studying the effects of sugar on the central nervous system, metabolism, and disease. So welcome to the show. Welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition, Dr. Lustig. 
Thank you so much for having me, Dar. We appreciate you taking this time to be guest on our show and the fact that you had to get up early to be on the show. <laughs> yeah, just a little too early. <laughs> oh, boy. 6 Honestly. I'm here in uh, San Francisco. Oh, okay. Honestly, I, you know, we've been excited about having you on the show all week, and it's really an honor to have you join us. So I, I know, you know, our, we have a lot of listeners throughout the country, and so I want to get right to asking you questions. You know, you mentioned in your book, Fat Chance, that everyone thinks they are a dietitian or a nutritionist. <laughs> yes, and, unfortunately, that is very, very true. Mm-hmm. And, um, I have people coming into clinic all the time saying, hey, I raised you. You turned out okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like everyone could tell you how to lose weight. You know, you said it's really simple. You know, they, they think you just cut the calories and exercise more. Well, you know, that that has not worked for the last 30 years, and it's not going to work. And the reason is because a calorie is not a calorie. Talk more Um, about that, because everybody tells us that. This is the biggest myth that has to be broken in order for us to be able to move beyond where we currently are. Uh, We have been fed a bill of goods by the food industry, and it works for them because if a calorie were a calorie, then there's no specific food stuff that's any worse than any other. And if you gain weight, it's your fault because you get to choose what you put in your mouth. Mm -hmm. And it's not the food industry's fault because you can always exercise it off. So, (laughs) So a calorie is a calorie is the ultimate subterfuge for the food industry to be able to basically do whatever they want. It gives them cover. Uh, And they are clinging to it like you've never seen before. Uh, If you've seen Coca-Cola's new Coming Together ad, you know, this is what they say straight out. They say, you know, uh, beating obesity relies on one common sense fact. All calories count, whether they come from Coca-Cola or anything else with calories. So basically, they're saying it doesn't matter if you eat carrots, it doesn't matter if you eat cheesecake, it doesn't matter if you drink Coca-Cola, it's all the same. That's their mantra. The fact is that I do not believe in common sense. Mm -hmm. I believe in data. Okay, tell us more. (laughs) Because the data say something completely different. The data say a calorie is not a calorie. Different calories are metabolized by the body differently, and they go to different places, and they stimulate the hormone insulin differently, which determines whether or not they're going to get put into body fat or not. And uh, if you recognize that a calorie is not a calorie, then the composition of your diet, not the total calories of your diet, is what is important. Uh, It allows for different types of diets. Uh, For instance, low-carb. Now, there are a lot Mm -hmm. of people who think, you know, low-carb is the cat's meow. Yes. uh, And there are other people who think that low-carb is the devil incarnate. The fact of the matter is, low-carb works. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? So does the Ornish diet. The Ornish diet is the exact opposite of low-carb. It's high-carb and virtually no fat, and it works. Mm-hmm. So That's there right. are two different diets. They are completely diametrically opposite, and they both work. If a calorie were a calorie, they shouldn't, mm-hmm. but they do. And the reason is because they're actually the same. So explain a little more about... Same. The, how that? How they are they exactly the same? Because they share two things in common: low sugar, 
high fiber. Uh-huh. Low sugar, high fiber is what makes a diet work. And if you look at every single successful diet on the face of the planet, I don't care which one, the South Beach diet, the Paleo diet, the, the uh, uh, you know, uh, Sugar Busters diet, the Zone diet, and, and, and you just go down the, the, Japan, the traditional Japanese diet, you go down the list, they all share two things in common, low sugar, high fiber. Well, you know what a low sugar, high fiber diet is called? They all what? Real food. (laughs) I was going to say that's called weight and wellness. That sounds like a weight and wellness kind of way of eating, right? Right. That's right. That's right. Real food is what it's about. And processed food is what got us into this mess. Now, when we talk about processed food, we are talking about eight separate things. Not one, but eight. So let's list the eight that have changed over the last 30 years. Perfect. Five things have gone up. Three things have gone down. So I hope the listeners are taking, uh, you know, writing these things down this morning. So the five things that have gone up are, number one, trans fats. Mm-hmm. Yes, we see and that. And trans fats are the devil incarnate. Yes. Okay? Trans fats truly are the single worst thing you could possibly put in your body. Those transformed, like, mutant fats kind of is, you know, what I like to call them. Well, yeah, in, a, in a way they are. Um, I, the reason trans fats were placed into our food is because bacteria can't digest the trans fat because they don't have the machinery to be able to break that trans double bond. Well, guess what? Our mitochondria, our, the, cell, the energy-burning factories inside our cells, are refurbished bacteria. We can't digest them either. So they end up lining our arteries and our liver and make us very sick. But we know that they're bad, and so they're coming down. But processed food is full of trans fats. Number two. Omega-6 fatty acids. Now, omega-6 fatty acids are necessary. They make hormones that specifically help promote inflammation, and you need inflammation. It's not like you don't need it. You need it in order to be able to fight off infection. It's a, uh, it's a necessary uh, evil uh, of our bodies, but you don't want too much of it. Right. And uh, we're supposed to have a one-to-one relationship between our omega-6s and our omega-3s. Right. Well, right now that relationship is 25 to 1. And omega-6s are extraordinarily bad for you in high dose, which is what we have. So, you know uh, where you get omega-6s from? Right. That's Everything. what I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Um, seed oils in particular and animals that eat seed oils and animals that eat corn. So like corn and even like cottonseed oils and... And that's all of... And that's virtually everything in the supermarket. Yes. So so omega-6s are bad. So Dr. Lutzick, we uh, actually are getting signals from our producer that we have to take a quick break. But I want you to stay with this This topic when we come back from break. Okay. Because we want to go through all six of these. All eight. All eight. I'm sorry. Okay. All, All right. right. So everyone stay tuned because this is definitely a good conversation we're having. Um, and you are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. So sugar has 56 different names and is found in 80% of our food. So to help you avoid foods with sugar, Dr. Lustig has actually written a shopper's guide called Sugar Has 56 Names to help you understand what exactly food labels mean. So this three ninety nine ebook is exactly what you need to avoid the sugar trap. It may surprise you that agave sugar is not a health food. Um, so this shopping guide is actually available wherever ebooks are sold. So questions for Dr. Lustig, call 651-641-1071. 
and we'll be right back. If you changed your nutrition, could it change your life? What if I told you that you could change your life just by learning the secrets of balanced eating? Nutritional Weight and Wellness can teach you how. They will do an individual consultation for you, your husband, or your children. They will create an eating plan that fits your lifestyle. Whether you're experiencing migraines or sleeplessness, depression, digestive problems, fatigue, anxiety, or need help with weight loss, nutrition can change all of that. More than 90% of all health conditions can be traced back to nutritional issues. Let Nutritional Weight and Wellness help you. Call 651-699-3438 or visit weightandwellness.com to schedule your individual consultation at an office near you. That's weightandwellness.com. Let Nutritional Weight and Wellness help you. 651-699-3438 or visit weightandwellness.com to schedule your individual consultation. That's weightandwellness.com. I'm Darlene Kavis, licensed nutritionist, and I'm here with Katie Harla, licensed dietitian, and Dr. Robert Lustig, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fat Chance, The Bitter Truth About Sugar. You may be saying to yourself, I know sugar is not good for me, but I can't give it up. Maybe I can avoid it for a couple of days, and then I need sugar. Let's face it, I'm addicted to sugar just like an alcoholic is addicted to alcohol. And we you know, hear that all the time, don't we? We do. You know, as we're working nose to nose with many of the clients each day, we hear it lots of times. So what's going on? What is the biochemistry? Is it so much more than just a lack of willpower or really what's going on? And Dr. Lustig, this is one of the ones we want to talk about later after we get through. Yeah. What- so Dr. Lustig, let's go back to what we were talking about before we went to break, because that was a great topic. Um, So we were talking about, for anybody just tuning in, we were talking about the eight things um, that have changed in processed foods. So Dr. Lustig, you said the increase of trans fats in our food supply. Trans fats and omega-6 fatty acids are the first two. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're still on things that have increased. Yes. Um, Next one is branched chain amino acids. So this, uh, these are amino acids that are in proteins. They are essential amino acids. You have to eat them. You can't make them. They are leucine, isoleucine, and valine. And when you overconsume them, the body has no place to store them. They have to turn them into energy. They do that in the liver, and it poisons the liver over time. Uh, the place you get those, again, is corn-fed beef. Um, you seeing, are you seeing a... Uh, a, a correlation a, here. Yeah, a, a, a theme here. Yes. That's right. Number four is alcohol. Now, alcohol can be good for you if you drink it in low dose, but if you drink it in high dose, as you know, it causes significant problems. And it uh, does seem as though a lot of people are drinking it in high doses these days. Well, they are. They are. Um, much more than uh, they should, and especially since they uh, uh, consume a lot of their alcohol with carbohydrate. It's called beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. And, that, and, the, and beer is actually uh, one of the few uh, alcohol-containing uh, foodstuffs that uh, doesn't uh, help you in low dose. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, wine it's, helps you in low dose, right. but, al- but beer does not. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. As we work with clients, we have, I've noticed this. I don't know, if Katie, if you have, but I noticed that more women are drinking beer than they ever had before. I, I agree with you. I have seen that, too. And, oh. of course, their health is going down the tube, too. Well, so. 
there's a reason it's called Beer Belly. <laughs> right, yes. So I can tell you. And then the fifth thing that's gone up, of course, is fructose. Fructose being the sweet molecule in sugar, you know, cane sugar, beet sugar, uh, the stuff you put in your coffee, and also high fructose corn syrup, and agave, and maple syrup, and honey. Yes. So even that and, piece then where, you know, this is this was kind of a almost a, a trend was, well, what about agave syrup, right? Right. I mean, everybody... Everyone doing... thinks agave is good because it has low glycemic right. index. But actually, it's so high in that fructose. That's why it's low in glycemic index. Exactly. Because it's high in fructose. <laughs> yes. Well, fructose does its damage outside of glycemic index. It has nothing to do with glycemic index. Uh, fructose does bad things by itself because of the nature of the chemical. And we can talk about that when we finish. Okay. That sounds so the good. Things, the three things that have gone down in processed food that have made us sick. Okay, the first one, fiber. Fiber is good for us. Now, people think fiber doesn't matter because you just poop it out. The fact is fiber does many things inside your intestine that make it an essential nutrient. But the Food and Drug Administration does not consider it essential. It reduces the rate of absorption of all sorts of foodstuffs from the gut into the liver, and that keeps your liver healthy. Mm -hmm. That means your liver won't get overloaded, because when your liver gets overloaded with energy, it has no choice but to turn it into liver fat. And when you make liver fat, that's when you get metabolic syndrome. Uh, the next thing that's gone down is micronutrients. Micronutrients mm -hmm. are essential, and the, they you know, processed food basically strips them away. Most micronutrients are actually in the bran of, say, the wheat or the rice, okay? Berry berry, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the vitamin deficiency uh, only occurred in the uh, Chinese who ate polished rice, not brown rice, because the vitamin was actually in the, um, in the bran, the rice bran, rather than in the polished rice itself, as, as an example. And then finally, the last thing that's gone down, let's see, there's a, oh, oh omega-3s. Yes. And omega-3s are anti-inflammatory, and omega-3s actually prevent uh, dementia. And um, uh, you get those in salmon and flaxseed, but wild fish, not farmed fish. And we now eat farmed fish because farmed fish is cheaper. And also we're fishing the seas, and uh, you know, some of the wild fish are kind of hard to find now. So those are the eight things that have happened to processed food over the last 30 years to make it particularly problematic. But of those eight, the one that is the most actionable, the one that is the most egregious, and the one that is right in your face, and the one that you can do something about right now is sugar. And that's why I wrote the book. Okay. So how about going back over the fructose and talking a little bit more about what damage that actually creates in the body. Right. So, so that's like pop. Right. Fructose does three things. Three things that glucose does not. And glucose is starch. Glucose is the energy of life. Glucose is, you know, how every single cell on the planet runs. Every single organism runs on glucose. Uh, glucose is so important that if you don't consume any, your body makes it. That's how important glucose is. Mm -hmm. yep. Fructose is not important. Fructose is vestigial for vertebrates. Okay? Plants use it as a storage form of energy. But other than that, it is absolutely unneeded by any organism on the planet. 
but we like it because it tastes good. <laughs> and that's really the only thing it has going for it is it tastes good. Now, is that a good thing? Well, it can be, um, but the fact of the matter is uh, it is highly problematic when you overdo it. What does it do? Number one, it turns into liver fat, and that liver fat drives chronic metabolic disease. And we have shown that sugar is the proximate cause of diabetes worldwide. So, Dr. Lustig, you were talking in your book about some of the clients' children that you've worked with yes. with liver fat. That's right. Lots yeah, of them. I think. Boatloads you, of them. Can you, can you think of an example of one of your clients that you've worked with? Because I think when people hear it from uh, that are, that's a real client, it has more meaning to them than just well, saying liver fat. We've done two liver transplants on 400-pound, 15-year-old soda drinkers at UCSF. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is a disease that was never even diagnosed before 1980, and now one-third of America has it. It's a so nutritional what, disease. What happens in the liver when the liver gets fat? Basically, the liver gets overloaded with carbohydrate, but specifically sugar. Mm-hmm. And because of the way fructose is metabolized, because it's not just any old calorie, it's a very specific calorie, and only the mitochondria can metabolize it. It doesn't go to the um, pop-off valve in the liver called glycogen or liver starch. It is not metabolized by the other organs in the body, only the liver. Because of all of these unique features of fructose, basically, when your liver gets too much of it, your liver has no choice but to take that energy and turn it into liver fat. And when you start the liver fat process, that's what starts the disease process. That's what we've shown. So if I was, uh, and I, I see this happening a lot of times with young people, they're drinking three, four cans of Mountain Dew. That's a mm-hmm. disaster. Okay, so that is enough Mountain oh. Dew or, you know, any any sugar pop to cause liver damage. Without question. The American Heart Association says that we are supposed to consume six to nine teaspoons of added sugar per day. Basically, that's the equivalent of one can of soda for the entire day. Mm -hmm. For the entire day. The problem is that in America, we are currently consuming 22 teaspoons of added sugar per day, and that's on average. And the group that is consuming the most sugar per day, teenagers. Yes. And we see that all the time in the office. So when people think, you know, it's almost like this fatty liver disease, people, you know, typically think fatty liver disease and they think the alcohol, but we're just seeing it, this non-alcoholic form of the fatty liver from all the sugar, the sodas. And the thing is that when you look at non-alcoholic fatty liver disease under the microscope, it looks just like alcoholic fatty liver disease. They are indistinguishable. If you put two slides of two fatty livers under the uh, nose of a pathologist and said, here, tell us which one was the alcohol and which one was the sugar, he couldn't tell you. So if an, uh, an alcoholic has a fatty liver, what is it usually called? It's called alcoholic fatty liver disease. Okay. Or so, I mean, it ultimately leads to cirrhosis, and so does sugar. Yes. So somebody drinking too much soda eventually can create yeah. that cirrhosis. Like cirrhosis. The, yes, Absolutely. It's, ama- it's amazing. Absolutely. It's called non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, or NASH, yep. and it is the disease that has increased the fastest and the most in all, uh, in, in all America. And I remember reading that in your book. 
um, you saying saying that this is a nutritional disease and it's preventable and that's what makes it such a travesty. That's right. You know, Dr. Lutzdick, I have just one more question about fatty liver before we go on break here. Um, what happens to a person that has a fatty liver? I mean, what's the next step in their health? Well, um, if, you have, if you have a fatty liver, you can reverse it to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, you, if it's just fatty liver, you can uh, turn, turn it around uh, by exercise, exercise, because exercise will burn off that fat in the liver, mm-hmm. and also by fructose restriction, by getting rid of the sugar, uh, and also with some uh, uh, vitamin E will help that as well. But, but if the fatty liver goes on to develop inflammation, which happens in one quarter of the patients, that inflammation can cause scarring. Mm-hmm. And once the liver scars, there's no getting it back. And basically that is the slow, steady decline onto cirrhosis. We've also shown that fatty liver is the predictor and the proximate cause of diabetes and also heart disease. So lots of things can happen. This is a great conversation. We do have to go to break. Um, So you are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition, and we will be right back. Uh, But today, August 24th, we are offering three great two-hour classes in St. Paul. It's the Food Connection to ADD, ADHD from 2 to 4, in Maple Grove, it is Foods to Build Happy Focus Kids, and that is from 1 to 3. And in our YZ office, it is our Gut Reaction, Restored Digestive Health. Uh, this is the last of our two-for-one summer specials. So, you know, if you've been thinking about taking a class, you know, just grab a friend. Grab your mom, dad, daughter, or son, and they, you can have them as your free guest. So, really, kind of what we believe here is healthy foods build healthy relationships. So... To take a look at those classes, uh, call 651-699-3438 to sign up, and we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. Uh, joining us today is our special guest, Dr. Robert Lustig, author of Fat Chance, Beating the Odds Against Sugar, Processed Cut Food, Obesity, and Disease. And, Dr. Lustig, I have a question. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about all this sugar that's added why do food companies add sugar to all their products? <laughs> Very simple. <laughs> to get you to buy more. Mm-hmm. Our um, taste buds like the sugar. When we went low fat back in the 1980s, uh, food tasted like cardboard because the flavor was in the fat. Food industry had to do something about that. Well, they had to substitute something that would make us want to buy their food. And, of course, the answer was sugar. And at that point, high fructose corn syrup had reared its ugly head, and it was half the price of uh, cane sugar, and so it started getting into everything uh, in order to get us to buy more. Uh, With the low-fat directive, we started having Entenmann's fat-free cakes, and everybody thought, well, gee, if fat makes you fat, Mm -hmm. then sugar is just fine, and so they started adding more, and we started buying more, and that made them add some more, and that made us buy some more, and they came to the realization somewhere along the way that, oh my gosh, this is the holy grail. This is the juggernaut, and now it is the primary diet staple for most of our foods. Basically, the way we uh, try to educate people in our clinic is if any form of sugar is one of the first three ingredients... Mm -hmm. It's a dessert. 
Okay. Chinese chicken salad is a dessert. Yes. That's the way you have to think about it. And the thing is that the food industry, they got it. They know. And that's what's happened. And the question, of course, is what's happening in our brain to allow for that to happen? Well, then, you know what? It must be okay to have a burger. Because there can't be sugar in a burger, is there? Oh, sure there is. Absolutely. They've added, they absolutely do. And they specifically add sugar to taco meat, like a Taco Bell. Uh-huh. You, you understand why it is so addicting for people. Well, uh, you know, we like it. Um, there's a physiologic reason we like it. There's an evolutionary reason we like it. Because there are no foodstuffs on the planet that are both sweet and acutely poisonous. This was the signal to our ancestors that any given food was safe to eat. Mm-hmm. Ah. And so we are actually programmed to like this stuff. And I can prove it to you. Um, got children? Sure. How They're many? older now. <laughs> how many? Well, you got you, grandchildren you now. when they were babies. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, how many times do you have to introduce a savory food to an infant before they will accept it? Probably a lot of times. Several, yeah. Mm-hmm. 13. 13. Oh, 13. 13. Okay. How many times do you have to introduce a sweet food? Probably right away. (laughs) Just once. And that's on purpose. I mean, that, you know, God made it that way. And we love the stuff. And the food industry has figured out that we love the stuff. And we have data that is indirect, uh, but uh, in animals it's direct, that shows that sugar actually foments addiction. It does the two things that uh, we say, are required for the definition of addiction in animals, uh, tolerance and withdrawal. And in humans, we definitely have the tolerance. The question is about the withdrawal. Um, It's very hard to find somebody who's naive to sugar to be able to test that. And most of the sugar that we consume is in sugar-sweetened beverages, which have caffeine, and it might be the caffeine that's actually the thing we're withdrawing from. But we absolutely can show withdrawal when you stop people uh, consuming sodas. So the question is, is sugar addictive in humans? In animals, slam dunk, absolutely. In humans, we have correlational data, not causative data at this point. But it's still very worrisome. Oh, I think going back to that, one of those first questions, and we see this all the time in our office, is people really have, some people, not everyone, some people have a high addiction to sugar. Or they seem to, yeah, they definitely. Seem to. I mean, and we, they talk we see about sugar it. sugar addicts in our clinic all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's very common. A lot of times we can't help the kid because the parent is a sugar addict. Yes, mm-hmm. right. Often. Uh, because they won't remove the stuff from the house because, you know, they need it. And so we end up, you know, with two patients. We usually end up with two patients in pediatrics. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that uh, uh, probably about 20% of the U.S. population is addicted to sugar, which is actually the same number as for alcohol. And it may even be the same people, and it may be for the same reasons. And we, you know, we see that all the time, too, which makes sense is, you know, maybe we have a client who comes in and they have that addictive almost brain chemistry, and they've been addicted to alcohol in the past, mm-hmm. and they get off the alcohol, they go through treatment, and then they switch That's right. to the sugar. In fact, it's addiction transfer. Oprah was the, you know, world's expert on this, and uh, we see this all the time. And the reason is because the reward center of the brain, the, the area that goes haywire in addiction, uh, it doesn't care what the substance is. So pretty much if you're addicted to one thing, you're addicted to, to most. 
But you know what? Most of these, a lot of these people that I hear, at least when we're working with them, is they think that they have just have a weak will, that they are bad people because they can't control their sugar addiction. Well, in fact, that is exactly what the food industry wants them to believe. Mm-hmm. I, I believe, you know, I believe the science. And, and the science t- tell says, people the science about this, Dr. Listig. There's plenty of science on this. Um, you know, I am not an addiction researcher per se, but I certainly know a lot about addiction. Mm-hmm. And um, there are certainly genetic susceptibilities to these things. But the fact is, anyone can get addicted to virtually anything that activates the reward system. Mm-hmm. It, ha- it starts out, you know, in, uh, very innocently. You consume some sugar-containing food, and you get pleasure out of it. Mm-hmm. And the pleasure lasts about an hour. And then you consume a little bit more, and you get more pleasure out of it the next time. The problem is, each time that you expose that reward center to more substrate, more sugar in this case, what happens is that dopamine receptors, dopamine being the feel-good neurotransmitter, the dopamine receptors in that reward system start down-regulating. And this is a phenomenon known as tolerance. And the more sugar you supply, the more you down-regulate the receptors, which means the bigger the hit you need the next time around. Yes. So this is like people who say, I have to have my three o'clock, you know, cookie, or I have to have my three o'clock or three o'clock, you know, Rice Krispie bar or cappuccino or something like that. And right. they get that, yeah, they get that almost high Absolutely. from that food. And then over time, they just need more and more. Absolutely. And, okay. so, and, and, it, and it could sneak up on you very fast. Yes. The, the thing is that you, in order to break any addiction, there's only one real way to do it, and that's to go cold turkey yes. Yes. and get off whatever the substance is that's causing the abuse. The problem is that since 80% of the food in the American supermarket is laced with added sugar. Mm-hmm. How are you supposed to get off it? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's well, you go back to what we keep saying all the time to people. You eat healthy meat, yep. real meat, fresh meat, and grass-fed meat, if mm-hmm. possible, and vegetables, and yep. butter, well, or and, coconut and, oil, or something like that. And guess what? That's called real food. Real food, <laughs> right. Real food and balance. And you see that. We see that with clients, too, is... Um, you know, we'll make that comment like, you know, I think we need to get off the sugar. You definitely need to get off the sugar. And they make that realization in their brain and the idea of letting go that three o'clock cookie or that evening like cookie or snack goes, you know, away. And they they oh, almost panic. tears. Yeah, it's sometimes it's tears. <laughs> well, and that's when it we is. see. And it, and it can be that way for three weeks. It mm-hmm. takes three weeks to break any addiction. The fact of the matter is you can't break it unless you know where it's hiding. Right. Because you still have to eat. You know, with smoking, you know you don't smoke cigarettes if you're trying to break the habit. Right. You know, with alcohol, you know where the alcohol's hiding, so you know what, where not to go. Okay? But with sugar, you don't even know where it is. It's all over the place. Because there are 56 names for sugar. And that is one of the reasons why we wrote the ebook, mm-hmm. which is coming out called Sugar Has 56 Names, A Shopper's Guide. It will be out on September 3rd. Okay. Okay. So, so, Dr. Lustig, I just want to get... Keep your brain. We've got to take another break, but I want you to think in terms of how is sugar affecting people's memory, you know, the Alzheimer's, all that. Just as we come back, I would like to talk about that. Sure. Yeah. You bet. So for everyone else, you're listening, listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. I invite you to put two important dates on your September calendar. On September 22nd, we invite you to our open house in Wyzetta. Um, we've had two open houses before, and they're, they always have such a good turnout. Mm-hmm. They uh, do. <laughs> so it's this is a Sunday, and it's going to be going from 11 to 3. So Greg Peterson, or the supplement guy, 
he will be speaking on pain and inflammation. Um, Cassie Wienes, she'll be there go- talking about going gluten-free the healthy way. And of course, Dar will be there and she'll be speaking on natural solutions for menopause symptoms. Plus, there will be 10 other educational tables, shopping bags, recipes, and more. It's going to be so much fun. Um, so also September 10th, we have the Nutrition for Weight Loss program starting up in St. Paul. It's also going to be starting in Wyzetta and North Oaks. Um, so really, it's Let's start eating healthy to be ready for the holidays. So if you need any more information about those dates, um, the classes, the open house, uh, give the front desk a call to sign up, uh, 651-699-3438. We'll be right back. If you live with digestive problems, it's not just miserable, it's embarrassing. You might even find it tough to tell your doctor about your gas, bloating, heartburn, constipation, or diarrhea. The nutrition educators at Nutritional Weight and Wellness understand no one wants to talk tummy trouble, but that can keep you suffering. So they've come up with a brilliant solution, an online version of the popular gut reaction class. That's right, online. You won't sit in a group or even leave home. You'll learn about foods that trigger digestive discomfort and how to restore intestinal balance. You'll learn how to get rid of bloating, stop heartburn, and relieve constipation and diarrhea. But it's all done privately when it's convenient for you. You know the old saying, you're only as sick as your secrets. If you're ready to heal and give up those digestive aids advertised on TV, this is the class for you. Register for Gut Reactions online at weightandwellness.com or call for information at 651-699-3438. That's 651-699-3438. So welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. And I think more and more people are starting to realize that sugar and processed carbs really don't do them any Mm -hmm. favors. In fact, they realize it's aging their cells, creating memory problems, and putting weight on around the middle, but temptation is still there because it's sugar. Yes, and as we were talking about, we're addicted to it. So I really recommend reading Dr. Lestick's book, Fat Chance. And, you know, actually grab his uh, Sugar Has 56 Names shopping guide and take it with you when you go shopping. You know, And, of course, we have a couple of great classes to give you support, but we're going to... to yeah, so before we went to break, we were kind of... Um, talking about some of the addiction piece, but now, Dr. Lustig, let's kind of dig into how is some of this excess sugar related to memory loss, um, like dementia and Alzheimer's disease? Dr. Lustig? Dr. Lustig? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, Okay, good. Okay, did you hear the question? No, I'm sorry. Uh, There was a static. uh, Okay. Okay, okay. Um, So we were just kind of wondering, how is excess sugar kind of related to memory loss, dementia, or even like, you know, Alzheimer's disease? Right. So here's, here's what we know and here's what we don't know. Uh, we know that Alzheimer's disease is metabolic syndrome of the brain. That we know. And we know that insulin resistance, which is the biochemical phenomenon that underlies metabolic syndrome, uh, predicts Alzheimer's disease very nicely in type 2 diabetics and also in the general population. This we know. We also know that sugar, fructose, you know, the bad stuff that we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. causes insulin resistance. What we have not yet shown is that sugar is the proximate cause of dementia or Alzheimer's disease directly. We do not have those data in humans yet. We do have them in animals. Okay, we've oh, okay. shown in animal models that both fat 
and sugar can cause obesity, but only sugar causes cognitive decline. Well, that's very interesting. So that, that's the data that we have currently. We also have some animal model data that shows that um, sugar can cause damage to neuronal membranes, but omega-3s will repair that damage. So that omega-3s seem to be protective uh, against the onslaughts of sugar in terms of uh, damage to the brain. So there are very, very good reasons to be thinking about cutting back on sugar, and dementia and prevention of dementia is one of them. But we cannot yet categorically say in a causative fashion that sugar is the cause of Alzheimer's disease. That's work that has yet to be determined. So is it kind of shocking to you, because it is to us, um, how many people seem to lack this knowledge? Uh, well, and they, but they always say, oh, I, I, I know about nutrition. Very simple, <laughs> very simple. If a calorie is a calorie, then they don't need this knowledge, do they? Right. <laughs> uh, and the food industry, that's what they want you to believe. And sadly, that's what most of the medical establishment is still hooked on. Yes, they are. And, you know... Uh, a calorie is a calorie basically, you know, uh, goes to the first law of thermodynamics, you know, which states that energy can neither be created nor destroyed, just shifted around. And from a physics standpoint, you know, a calorie is a, you know, measure of energy. And it is true you can't violate the first law of thermodynamics. And all of that is still true. The problem is that doesn't say anything about where the energy goes. Yes. And that has everything to do with whether you get sick or not. And that is biochemistry, not physics. And well, the problem is that the, the uh, medical establishment is still hooked on a calorie is a calorie because they haven't gotten past the notion of, you know, the physics of it. And, and that, they have to embrace the biochemistry. That's really what we focus on at Nutritional Weight and Wellness. We're trying to get people to understand that their biochemistry drives their behavior. Indeed, that is what we have shown, um, you know, numerous times in many different venues. When you get the insulin down, you eat less and you exercise more. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Voluntarily. Yes. Right. You do it because the biochemistry changes your behavior. And that is what our clinic at uh, UCSF, the Weight Assessment for Teen and Child Health Clinic, is all about. It's an insulin reduction clinic, and we will get the insulin down any way we can. We can do it with diet. We can do it with drugs. We can do it with um, uh, surgery. We can do it with exercise. We do it every which way. Whatever works, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what we do. The point is, it's about the insulin. And if it's about the insulin, then anything that makes your insulin go up is the bad guy. And that's where refined carbohydrate and sugar comes in. And that is what every single successful diet removes. Exactly. And, you know, it's a learning process that people have to go through to change those habits. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. takes time. It does. And the fact of the matter is people now don't know how to cook because they've been eating processed food for the last 30 years. We've lost an entire generation of cooks. And, And it is for that reason that my colleagues, Cindy Gershon, who is a chef here in the East Bay, and Heather Millar, who's a freelance journalist, and I uh, have written a cookbook. Oh, that's oh, great. very good. We're the in the process. cookbook, and it will be out January 1st. Oh, that's so good. That's great. It's yep. kind of like, um, I almost call us like the, the microwave generation. That's right. And uh, the fact is that one-third of Americans state categorically they do not know how to cook. Mm-hmm. 
So how are they supposed to get better if they don't know how to cook? And so even like that, that, that's why some of this feels overwhelming to people. Exactly. Because, well, I don't even know, I don't even know how to start with step one, how to get... Exactly. If if you've never boiled water outside of a microwave, you're already (laughs) behind the eight ball. And that is exactly what we're seeing. Uh, Cindy Gershon is now a food teacher at Mount Diablo High School. Every single recipe in our book was vetted and made by the students within a period at school. Perfect. uh, So if, if a high school student can do it, you can do it. Right. Yeah, we always like that that encouraging piece. Right. So do you have any other words of wisdom that you'd kind of like to end the show with? Uh, Boy. You've you've shared Um, so many great things. This was a great topic. Yes. The the one thing that I would say, you know, in a a negative is um, uh, don't believe anything the food industry tells you. (laughs) That's That's the negative. The positive is that... If you eat real food, you can pretty much make virtually every chronic disease get better. Oh, you are a wonderful guest, and we love your work. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. To everyone else, remember, change your food, change your life. Have a good Saturday, everyone. Thanks for listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. The content and opinions expressed are those of the hosts or presenters. They are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Statements made with respect to products have not been evaluated by the FDA.